All right. You can get your lift notes out if you got them. Your Bibles will be in primarily the book of Mark today, looking at the life of Jesus. So right now we are in a fall series called Foundations of Discipleship. So it's kind of a pretty big deal. If you believe in Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus. That's kind of the deal. <laughs> he is not just Savior, but Lord. He says, come follow me. And so the idea when we believe on him is we, be, we become his followers. He is our master. We are the apprentices on how to live life, how to do this kingdom of God is at hand life that Jesus described. And so we're going over some of those core foundational tools. We looked at that for three weeks, that gospel message from Mark 1, the summary of the gospel according to Jesus himself is that the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe the time is fulfilled. That's beautiful. That's powerful. And then we looked at this rhythm of life that's built in from creation, and Jesus models it that we're made to live in these beautiful rhythms, life-giving, sustainable fruit-producing rhythms of life, Sabbath and rest. And that's not just a day off a week. It's a mindset where we live from this place of communion with God. And so we have permission to live from that place and seek God's presence throughout not only the week or the month, but the day and the minute, and live from that place of communion with God. That is where sustainable fruit comes from. And now we're looking at the power of relationships and how Jesus modeled investing intentionally in relationships. And this is the kingdom way of life. It's not just for Jesus, it's for us. How do we invest wisely in relationships? And to back up a little bit further, well, why would we invest wisely in relationships? And we saw last week because Jesus himself said, relationships are what life's all about. When someone came to him and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And we took some time and we're not going to review it today, but the idea behind that question is essentially what's life all about? And on our end, what's the most important thing to invest in? And Jesus famously said, love God and love others. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Jesus' answer is 100% relational. It's all about relationships. Life is about relationships. Jesus is saying that's what eternally matters. And so last week we then looked at the, the introduction of a shape a tool, a discipleship tool that helps us just remember the value of relationship. So let's see that tool real quick. Very, very simple. What we see in the life of Jesus is that he intentionally invested in relationship. But not all relationships are the same. So sometimes it's very helpful to understand the kind of relationship that we're investing in. Last week was all about up where we are made for a relationship with God. And Jesus himself models a personal, intimate, vibrant, living, active relationship with the Father to the point where we saw at times he walked away from ministry opportunities. It says to go and be alone with the Father. 
And throughout his life, he spoke over and over about this closeness with the Father, this intimacy with the Father, and then he just blows our minds by saying, it's not just for me, it's for you. The one who believes in me, my Father and I, and the Holy Spirit will come and make our dwelling place, our home with them. And so Jesus sets this example, he teaches on it, he models it, that humanity first and foremost is made for an intimate connection and communion with the Father. And for simplicity's sake, we call that up. Are we investing up? That's the starting place of life. And today we want to move down the triangle a little bit into seeing how Jesus intentionally invested in. And when we say intentional, we want to highlight that word. If life's all about relationships and and rich relationships are the true prosperity that Jesus taught, talked about, and modeled, how do we invest in those relationships? And one word that's very important is simply intentionality. We have to be intentional. And we know this intuitively, but sometimes it's good to bring things out of intuition and and into like a concrete awareness. You know that if you don't invest relationally, intentionally, in your relationship with God, you're not going to have the level of intimacy that you could. And we all know that from experience, where there's seasons where maybe we got busy or maybe we got a little off track or maybe we, you know, backslid and fell far away. And we're living in the pig slop. Or maybe it's just those little subtle compromises where we just got busy with that and busy with that. And then at some point, we wake up with an awareness that, wow, my intimacy with God is not nearly what it was in the past. Is that God's will for our life, that we would decrease in intimacy with him over time? No way. God's will is that we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another, to be more like Jesus, to behold him more dearly and closely, to hear his voice more, to walk in his presence, in in the power of his spirit in greater measure. And so one word that is huge, and that is intentionality. Are we being intentional? Because God's never the one running away. He's always there. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. So are we intentional about investing in that relationship upward? Are we intentional about those relationships investing inward? And today we want to look at that in, where Jesus models for us this investment inward. What do we mean by in? It's about the fact that we're made for human connection, deep human connection. When we think about life at its really its most basic level. I mean, it's amazing how Jesus' answer of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as yourself, that you know, affirms everything that, that human wisdom has, in a good way, been able to come up with. The basic fact that we are relational beings made for deep connection. And if we don't have that, then we suffer. We suffer mentally, emotionally, even physically. I mean, that was one thing that, that the pandemic revealed and brought out is that mental and emotional and physical health have a massive connection to human interaction. When you isolate people, when you tell them they can't get together, when you are lonely and alone for a significant, significant period of time, 
Nobody thrives. We're not made for that. Actually, what increases is anxiety, depression. What decreases is overall emotional well-being and health is right there with it. And we saw that over and over in what was also a pandemic of loneliness, a pandemic of anxiety and depression, and all of that does is reveal the truth of God's word that relationships are essential. We are made for deep human connection, made for connection with God and with one another. I was in this room yesterday for a funeral, for a memorial celebration of life service uh, for a, a childhood family friend. And there were some beautiful pieces as there was an open mic given and, and friends and family shared. And it was interesting just to watch and as, I, as I'm thinking about this message and the importance and value of relationship and human connection and what, what really matters when it's all said and done. And it was very interesting to note that in the stories that were told, it was all about relationship. It was all about human connection and the way that this woman had impacted their life as, an, as a wonderful friend or mother or sister or wife. It was the human connection that mattered in the end. And that is one of the, for me, privileges of, of this job that I have is I'm put in those situations from time to time that help to reflect on the ultimate meaning of life and the ultimate way of investing in life to reflect on what really matters most. When I'm on my deathbed, am I going to be proud of how I invested my time toward relationships, toward what matters in eternity, toward connection with God and others. And I'm not trying to say that in a, in a somber way. Like, that's, I'm trying to be, I'm, I ask myself that question as I attended a funeral and think about life and what really matters and where am I investing. Not trying to be somber, but trying to be sober about the fact that this is what life's about. Jesus himself said it. Love God and love others. Life is about relationship. That's what God's looking for. <laughs> it's the greatest commandment. It's the most important thing. And yet we live in a world that makes it so challenging to invest in well. We live in a world that's very individualistic. It's very mobile. It's very digital. All of which are obstacles, all of those things combined together to push us towards disconnection with each other. And we are so mobile com compared to how we used to be. I mean, you know, life used to be, and I'm not saying we need to go back to this, I'm just saying we need to be intentional. But, you know, in Jesus' time, it was like, there's your village, <laughs> there's your community, it's just there. You know, walk outside, and there they are. The times have changed dramatically. If you don't want to, you don't have to see a human. You can work from home. You can, you know, go to the, you can have your groceries delivered. You can keep your garage door, you know, closed. I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon seeing, like, people come into their house and, and you know, garage door open. They pull in, garage door closed before, you know, before getting out of the car because you don't want to, you don't have to talk to another human. 
Certainly that's not everyone's intention for doing that, but it's just a little bit of a funny observation at times. But if we, can, if we think about the reality of our world with the digital nature of it, where we can be on screens for our entire day, if we so choose, and we can be stimulated and occupied, and then we can think about the, the mobility that we have, that we drive very long distances at times for work and play and pleasure, those things in and of themselves are just tools and they're fine. But they can also very easily push us towards disconnection where we're just not by default face-to-face with another person interacting for long periods of time that it takes to build deep relationships. So it just goes back to that word intentional. I do believe and I'm convinced that in our day and age, because we have such powerful forces pushing us in the disconnected direction, that if we're not intentional to develop those in relationships, we won't have them. They don't just automatically pop up one day. It's like, wow, I have this great you know, community of life-giving friends. It just happened. I just woke up. Man, God blessed me. No, just like in the same way that nobody wakes up just incredibly intimate in their relationship with God. Relationships take intentional investment. Let's look to Jesus and how he does it. He intentionally invests with a small number of relationships that become that life-giving community. In Mark 3, 13 to 16, and and verse 20, that whole passage is, is an important one. Now, mind you, though, Jesus had been tracking with his disciples for quite a bit of time, so this, this is not just a, the, an introduction to them. There's quite a bit of time under their belt with Jesus as, as master and, and a number of followers as apprentices. It says, he went up on the mountain. This is Mark 3, verse 13. He went up on the mountain, and he called to them, excuse me, he called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed whom he also he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. And he names them, etc. And then verse twenty, just kind of an interesting little. And then he went home. But the implication is with them. That word home in the Greek is oikos. We've talked about that before. If you're not familiar, it's this picture of like this big extended family, the oikos. took multiple generations to work together, uh, typically in a family business for protection and survival and provision. You all needed to work together. Jesus picks up that very same mindset and says, I'm going to grow a family on mission for the kingdom of God. And so that's part of what that invitation of relationship with Jesus was an invitation into his family that has a mission. And we see it right in the verse where it says that he called to him those whom he wanted. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So those two phrases are so powerful. Three phrases. Let's look at at them each that they might be with him, it's one phrase, and that he might send them out. So, next week we're looking at out. 
That's another intentional dynamic of investing in relationships out into the lost, hurting, broken world, how you serve others to share the good news and embody the good news of the kingdom of God. That's out. So Jesus is going to send them out. But before that, what does it say? And this sometimes like the little nuggets in the Bible are so fascinating. So that they might be with him. Be with him. Before the mission of being sent out was the invitation into friendship. To be with him. Your best friends in your life, the people that you value the most, the people that you love the most, you love to just be with them. That's a sign of true friendship, of good, healthy, deep relationship, just to be together. It doesn't have to be some extravagant event that you are going to or crazy activity that you're doing. That's, that's fun. But the deepest kind of relationships are the people that you come alive and enjoy and are safe with when you are just together, to just be with them is life. Jesus called this group to be with him and to go out. But you see, there's like the in relationship and then the out relationship, to be with him. And I'm not overemphasizing this phrase. That's exactly what he did. He called them to be with him, to be in that relational extended family, and that's why it says, not coincidentally, then he went home and he took them. Now they're part of his family. He was intentionally inviting them into his spiritual family that has a mission, and he modeled that. That's why you see the disciples with him, the 12, from that point forward. Everywhere Jesus goes, he is in this community. This community has joined him to be with him. And as, as is very famous, famously said, they, they do life together for three and a half years. That's an absolute fact. And Jesus is showing them what the kingdom of God looks like in everyday life. They're traveling on the road together. They're cooking meals together. They're standing around the fire together. They're Jesus calls out the gold in them at times. He rebukes the junk out of them at times. I mean, they're doing family stuff. They're doing deep, relational being with Jesus. He gave them a family. And in that, he developed deep, healthy, life-giving relationships. And he is modeling. He is absolutely modeling for us the way that human beings are meant to live in community, in life-giving relationships with one another. Another striking phrase that is a little offensive is those who he wanted. He called to them those, he called to him, those whom he wanted. So out of this group of, of followers, this group of disciples, if you will, on a broader scale, it says Jesus took all of them up on a mountain and he called to himself those whom he wanted. Now, so you can see in a leadership perspective how that's a reality that needs to happen. 
If you got 50 people, not all of them are your inner three. Not all of them are your James, Peter, and John. Not all of them are your 12. So there are decisions that have to be made at times. Any of you who have any type of leadership experience know that though that's an, a tough decision, it has to be made. But there's even, I would say, a greater principle, not specifically about leadership, but about relationship. So much wisdom one of the greatest investments we make in life is who we choose to be around. You know, you've heard Jim Rome say that you will become, over time, the, the, the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. I don't know if that's exactly true, but there's a, a, there's a biblical uh, essence beneath that. Others say, like, you want to see your future? Look at your friends. Because who you're spending time with now is who you are going to become. Not necessarily in personality, but in values, in goals, in character qualities. In teaching my, my sons to set goals and, and disciplines that go with achieving those goals, I, I try and am trying. Parenting's never done. I'm trying to instill the mindset that what you choose day by day is what you're becoming. I remember that from being in junior high, and we had Mr. Eldridge, and I can't believe I remember anything from junior high, because it was like I, I was not tuned into class at this point. And it was like, but for whatever reason, this one stuck out. He would write on the chalkboard the TFTD, a little whiteboard, actually. Chalkboards were out by that. We had the great invention of the whiteboard and those little markers that never worked. So that guy's fired. Uh, so in like broken little marker, TFTD, and the thought for the day, and I still remember this one. I don't remember any other ones. What you are choosing day by day is what you are becoming. That's a fact. And so I try to instill that into my boys. That it's like, hey, if you have these big dreams, you have these big goals, that's awesome. We support that. But are your disciplines today lining up with your goals and dreams for tomorrow? Is what you are doing today getting you there? Because nobody just wakes up with great dreams and goals achieved. The disciplines today have to be in line with those dreams and goals, your actions today. And that is 100% true for relationships. If you want great relationships, nobody just wakes up with great relationships with God or their spouse or their kids or their friends. It's about what you are choosing to do today. And a huge portion of that has to do with, as Jesus modeled, those whom he wanted. Who are you choosing to invest relationally in? It's one of the greatest, most important questions of our lives. Jesus modeled it. Going back to Peter excuse me, going back to Jesus, he modeled for us as he chose his community and he brought them near to be with him, to value that, that familial community, close relationships that take time to develop as he invested in that for years, you can see that Jesus got to a place of intimacy and, and power and depth in relationship 
that is a great model for all of us, that all of us should look at and be like, wow, I, I want that in my life. That's, that's healthy relationship. Extremely high level of relational intimacy. One great fun example that we always get to laugh at, Peter, is in Matthew 16, where Jesus calls Peter the rock. He calls out the gold. He's, not, he's gotten to know Peter well enough. He sees him with God's heart. He sees all his flaws, and he still is able to, way before Peter deserves it in a way, call out the gold and say, you are the rock. You are a rock. That, that's like a, that prophetic blessing where you see someone with, with heaven's eyes. You see the gold in them, the good in them, what they're made for. As a parent, this is like, you know, you, this has got to be one of your number one, like, superpowers is to be able to see past all the tiredness and exhaustion and the mess and the problems and see the gold and continue to call it forth. Same thing with friends, though. Same thing with peers and community. Jesus does that. He calls out Peter in the best of ways, saying he's the rock. And then, curiously, like two paragraphs later, he calls him Satan. Or he says, you're acting like Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan, because you're a stumbling block right now. When Peter had the thoughts of man and not the, the thoughts of God towards Jesus. And, and we can look at that and over-spiritualize it. Now, there's definitely spiritual things going on right there. But let's look at it from the relational intimacy. It's no, it's no surprise whatsoever, or it shouldn't be, that that level of relational depth both in the positive, prophetic, calling out the gold, and in like the candid, rebuking, this is not going well right now. Those two things happen to the same person, and it's the closest person Jesus has. Or it's in his inner circle of best friends, Peter, James, and John. Jesus is modeling real relationship. It's this, this, like, that's what I love so much about the Bible, real relationship. You go all throughout the Bible, and what are you going to see? Really messed up relationships. I mean, the book of Genesis is awful. I mean, it's rated R, and I would not want myself, my wife, or my kids to watch the Netflix version of Genesis. There is so much garbage, and in the way they treat each other, the, the sinfulness of humanity the need for a savior is on full display. And I love that the Bible's honest about that and doesn't gloss over and pretend that the heroes are perfect. There's one hero, and it's Jesus. And so he models for us the redeemed picture of relationships. And so in this very intimate moment with one of his best friends, we see the depth of the kind of healthy relationship that we're made for. And we can be sure that Peter is intentionally part of those, that best friend, if you will, category for Jesus. We see it in another weirdly potentially offensive passage in Mark 14, where Jesus, Khalid mentioned earlier, the Garden of Gethsemane and how Jesus poured out his anguish in the garden. What we don't often notice is the intentional, relational interaction that Jesus had with his closest community right before his most vulnerable moment of anguish on earth. Let's go there. Mark 14, 32 to 35. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, so this is at least the 12, 
maybe more, probably the 12. That kind of be, the disciples kind of became a phrase for the 12, but earlier in Mark, it, it uh, denoted a larger group out of which Jesus chose 12. So it's at least the 12. And he says to them, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to only them, he said to them, to only them, my soul is very sorrowful even to the death. Remain here and keep watch. And in another uh, translation, or another of the Gospels, Jesus also asks them to pray for him in this moment of anguish. There's so much like real relationship going on right there. Jesus is at his most vulnerable, painful moment of being human, of taking on the fullness of humanity and feeling all the highs and the lows and the pains and the sorrows. And he is right now contemplating going through the cross, going through hell on our behalf, and his soul is in anguish, he says. And in that moment, he has the relational maturity to say, 12, you guys sit down, you stay here. Only you three come with me. And let me tell you what's going on. I am in anguish and I need prayer. This is not a coincidence. This is intentional. This is Jesus in his wisdom, in his maturity, in modeling relationship. And he shows us that there are times where there is only going to be a very small number of people that have earned your trust to be so that you would it would be appropriate for you to share the most vulnerable and painful things and say, would you be with me in this moment and would you pray for me? So it's the both and of that's not for everybody and that that takes time to earn and it is healthy and it is needed. We all got to have it. Who's got your back in your Gethsemane moment? Have you invested relationally in a way where people have earned that in your life and you have earned that in people's life where in your Gethsemane moment of soul's anguish there are people that you know have got your back and you say I can trust you with this here's what I'm going through pray for me and have you been that kind of friend to someone else to where you've earned that vulnerable and intimate place So Jesus models for us some incredible things that comes back to how are we investing to grow these kind of deep, trusted, supportive, life-giving relationship. And it's not just about who has your back in the moment of need and anguish, but it's about who encourages you, who sees the gold in you and calls it out, who rejoices with you when you have a victory. Let's, let's look at a few of these one another verses and then we'll, we'll pretty much close out here. I know there's some deep and in some ways heavy realities to what Jesus models, but I also want to put forth that the Bible models a level of relationship that if I could put one word on it, it's life-giving. We're made for life-giving relationship with others. And there is so much joy in that. There is lightheartedness in that. There is jokes in that. There is fun in that. We'll get to that in a moment. But look, one, one very fun study, if you haven't done it before, is to just type in, and you can even use Google on this, 
But if you don't, if you don't have a, a Bible study software program, which there's lots of free ones, I just recommend looking those up in, the, in any, any type of app store, a Bible study software. There's a, it's a, there are amazing free tools out there to help you get into God's Word. But uh, search one another, one another, or each other. Specifically in the New Testament, it comes up so many times in describing the type of in relationships that were made for in community. Here's a small sampling. And as I read these, I want you to think about your relationships. The, the relationships that you currently have with your family, with your friends, with your extended spiritual family, with those who you choose to invest in. Do these describe the kind of beautiful and powerful things that are in your relationships? And if, you, if, if not, or not to the full degree, don't be disheartened. Just know that, therefore, this is good news for you. This is the kind of things, that, the kind of relationships that you're made for that God wants to bring into your life. Take them as promises from God as you learn to invest wisely and well in those relationships. So, Love one another. Kind of generic, but <laughs> let's not overlook love. I have met people who don't have love in their life. Sadly, and not yesterday, but I have been to funerals where there was little to no love of one another. That is an utter tragedy. That is, that is, that is hell on earth. It really is. Encourage one another. Show hospitality to one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Honor one another above yourselves. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Now, that's a... That's a a quick and overwhelming list. But look how many positive things are in there. Rejoice with one another. Here's a question. Do you have people that are champions in your corner? Are you that person that is a champion in someone else's corner? When something goes awesome, you have people cheering for you. Doesn't that feel awesome? Doesn't that feel great? And guess what? The Bible says that's God's will for relationships in your life, that you would rejoice with one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, that's, there's so much awesome, like positive love coming through there. I mean, I, I, I relate to that with my kids. Like, we are their champions, any small victory, and we are so excited to just be like, Woohoo! That's awesome. You got a seven out of eight on that one homework assignment. Woo! Good work. You know, it's like, but that's how life is meant to be lived, where we're not going through alone and in ways where as we have small victories, nobody's there to cheer us on. I love that God's word says rejoice with those who rejoice. Like that's so just healthily positive. We need rejoicers. We need champions who, who take our victories and celebrate them like it's their victories. Along those same lines, the 
encourage one another? Do you have people? Are you that person that puts courage in others? That you're close enough with people that, that you have eyes, the eyes of heaven, to put courage in them. You see them, you see their strengths, you see how God's made them, and you're able to speak that life into them so they get courage literally put into them. Like when Jesus says, Peter, you're a rock. Are you an encourager, and do you receive that encouragement? What about upbuilding? Pursue the things that build one another up. For any of you who are the, the construction mindset, that's literally a construction term. It's edify. It's an edifice. It's building up. And God designed us for relationships that when we get around other people, it's like, oh, I get built up. I get stronger, I get fortified, I get bigger, I get built up into the fullness of who God designed me to be. And wait a second, and it's not a solo mission. Other people build me up into the edifice that God designed me to be. Wow. All of that to say there is so much life that God wants to give us through one another. To kind of close it out, we have I'll give us a spectrum and a picture. There's a spectrum that in a way is an attempt to summarize all these one another verses. And I kind of can't decide which one I like better, so I'm going to give you two. They're the same thing. <laughs> it's in, in your lift notes there. These one another verses paint a picture of healthy relationships having a spectrum from high purpose to high play. Or another way to say it is, Healthy relationships know how to play together and pray together. And it's a spectrum from that high purpose of you're on mission together, you're confessing sins to one another and praying for each other, you're able to share those vulnerable moments of where things are hard, you're able to forgive one another when it's tough, bear one another's burdens. Those things are a bit heavy, right? And then it's on the other side of it, where it says lift each other up, encourage each other, rejoice with each other. And so test this out in your own life. I think that shows a spectrum of high purpose to high play. I mean, if you go into any family and they don't have play, it's, it's unhealthy, right? If kids don't know how to laugh, nobody's going to say that's a good thing. Now, they're, they're going to be an extreme where all you do in life is mess around, and that's why it's a spectrum from both high purpose, you know how to have goals, you know a mission with high purpose to it, you go after those things, but there's also Jesus calling us to be childlike, lighthearted, joy is the serious business of heaven where you can play together. I mean, check out your relationships. Isn't one of the most gratifying things when you've got to the depth of relationship with someone to where you have these little like, inside jokes where all you have to do is like say one little thing and it makes you both just giggle with joy and happiness because you know you went through something together, you have that common bond, you're able to think it's funny, you're able to then communicate that to each other and, and you laugh and, and it brings joy, it builds each other up, it encourages each other. And, and you know, if I think about my family, like there are so many like inside jokes from various movies and experiences that we've gone through together that it's like you can go into a family and listen in and be like, 
they're like speaking a foreign language. You know, in one moment, they're, they're quoting Nacho Libre, and they think it's the funniest thing in the world. And then the next moment, they're talking about, like, baby bunnies and, and you know, how that, that's what's on my mind right now. Like, it's where my wife is. She's a, she's a midwife right now. We gave birth to six baby bunnies, like, a night ago. So she's nursing. Not in that way. She's helping the baby stay alive. But so there's all these, you know, the kids are involved, and we're developing all this, you know, this language and communication but if I'm looking back, it's like that, that's that from high purpose to high play, from pray together to play, to, to play together. That encapsulates, I think, in a healthy way, all these one another verses, where it's not meant to be some extreme, it's all task, it's all business, it's all serious, it's all mission, and it's not meant to be on the other end where it's all just mess around and laugh. No, healthy relationships know how to do both well. And they know the difference between the time. And that's part of life is learning and growing, but it's investing in a way where those things become the culture over time. And the one another verses are perfect examples of specifics that are contained within that relational spectrum. Let me, let me close with a, a last point. I'm, I'm going to save a, a graphic for next week because it really goes along with uh, the out as well. So if you're looking at that picture in your lift notes, we'll get there next week with out. But my last encouragement is be the kind of friend that you want to have in your life. Be that person. And that's, that's, that's a challenge for us. That's a challenge for all of us. As we seek to develop those in relationships that take time over time, we've got to be careful that we don't come from the, the deficit mindset that says, well, why don't I have that great encourager in my life? Why don't I have that person that I laugh with in my life? Why, how come I don't have that Gethsemane person who's got my back? And I think the Bible's response is, be that person. You, you, you work on you to be that person. Be that person that encourages someone and shares that prophetic word. Be that person that lifts others up. Be that person that demonstrates a trustworthiness. Be that person that demonstrates the faithfulness, the compassion, the lack of, there's not the, the judgment. Be that person. Be that friend that you want. And I am 100% convinced that as you say, God, help me to grow into being that kind of friend, that that is going to attract those kind of people into your life. They want to receive that encouragement and will reciprocate it. And so this is where we take those, the, that healthy responsibility. We can pray, God, thank you for your promises that this is your will for my life. And then it comes back to that healthy stewardship. Am I investing well? And am I carrying myself in a way where I am that kind of friend who is going to build that healthy community? And these, these things take time, as Jesus modeled, but the more we invest and invest well with God's help and grace and wisdom, then there is a richness that is, that is found in those relationships that is the, the true prosperity that Jesus says is for all of us. Let's pray. Sing a new song I will sing